Hey everybody, welcome to Go Bold. Today is July 27th, 2022, and today marks the 50th anniversary of the first flight of the legendary F-15 Eagle fighter jet. The Eagle was designed as an air superiority fighter, but subsequent versions saw the Eagle become an impressive multi-role strike fighter as well. The Eagle was originally designed and built by McDonnell Douglas, which in 1997 merged with Boeing. The Boeing company has continued to build the F-15 for the United States Air Force and operators all around the world. The F-15 is among the most successful modern fighters, with over 100 victories and no losses in aerial combat, with the majority of the kills by the Israeli Air Force. We have a number of F-15 pilots that have shared their stories with us here on Go Bold, so you'll hear those in future episodes. But for this episode, we thought we'd mark the 50th anniversary of the first flight by discussing the newest F-15 variant of them all, and that is the F-15EX Eagle II, which is being acquired by the United States Air Force. The first two F-15EX aircraft were delivered ahead of schedule in May 2021. The F-15EX features state-of-the-art upgrades with fly-by-wire controls, digital cockpit displays, advanced avionics, and the Eagle Passive Active Warning and Survivability System, otherwise known as EPAWS. The F-15EX also has an open mission systems design with a high-speed optical bus, and that's a digital backbone that will allow for the rapid insertion of new and future capabilities. The aircraft also has size and capacity to carry hypersonic weapons, which makes them extremely capable and valuable fighters. So with all that said, we honor the designers of the magnificent F-15, and we pay respect to all that have flown the jet in service to their nations. I hope you'll enjoy this discussion. Let's get at it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Go Bold. My name is Jody Atariwala, and I'm your host. So this episode is part of our The Bleeding Edge series, where we present innovative concepts and thought-provoking issues from experts around the globe. And today, I'm very happy to have on the line Kevin Leroy Williams. He is a United States Air Force fighter pilot flying the F-15E Strike Eagle, and he's also an instructor pilot on the F-15SA. So uh, Leroy has a wealth of experience in the F-15 models, and he's going to be a perfect guest to speak about a paper which the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies released. And this paper is dated September 2020, and it's titled United States Air Force Fighter Force Procurement, a Comparative Analysis of the F-35 and F-15 EX Programs. The author is Cade Leonard, who's a cadet at the United States Air Force Academy. So this paper speaks about the comparison of the F-35 versus the F-15EX before the F-15EX even flew. And what we know today is that not only has it flown, but delivered to the United States Air Force well ahead of time. So that alone is, is an amazing feat in defense procurement. Clearly, Cade has done his research, and he's put this paper together. Um, 
as a person who was reading it, this paper makes a lot of assumptions. I I kind of noted some things that I thought, well, this this doesn't make sense, or or I'm not really sure if this this is wholly accurate. And that's not a criticism on Mr. Leonard's research. It's uh, just just my opinion. Uh, so I thought we would engage with Leroy today and speak a little bit about it in the context of his experience with the F-15 models. So Leroy, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to chatting about this. Hello, uh, I am too. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. Okay, now I think it's safe to say from the outset that you're an F-15E and an F-15SA pilot, so um, you probably have a bit of bias. You could say that, <laughs> and, but I, I also try to be objective, exactly. Uh, exactly. look at everything. Yeah. And that's the way I read, uh, that's the way I read any paper as well is uh, I try to look at it objectively and see, you know, see what the author presents and, and, um, and kind of gauge that through, through the knowledge that I have or, or research beyond it. You know, one of the things that this paper was speaking about is the fact that the United States Air Force is now reorienting itself and, and the greater defense enterprise, uh, USDOD, is refocusing away from counterinsurgency operations and now towards a, uh, a peer or near-peer conflict. And... The interesting thing about that is, you know, you've you've served in the United States Air Force. You were part of that Air Force when it, when it was oriented towards the near peer or peer threat, and then obviously you went yes. into went into the the counterinsurgency stuff after after nine eleven. Um, mm-hmm. But so you you do have that perspective where you can remember the days prior to uh, the insurgency uh, conflict that we've been in for the last twenty years. Absolutely. And I mean, and also, I mean, I, my last job with the Air Force, we were, that was my full focus was on the near peer because I wasn't concerned about what Afghanistan was going to be putting up against us or, you know, something else in the Middle East. It was more what I, what, what was the threat from China or Russia. So, you know, the middle part of my career was very much oriented towards the counterinsurgency and, and then teaching guys how to deal with it. But Mm-hmm. Uh, the beginning and the end of my career both started and ended worrying about near-peer threats and how you defeat them. Fantastic. So your focus in that regard really kind of makes you a great guest to have to, to discuss this paper um, because the paper actually concludes, uh, before we get into some of the, the guts of it, but the paper concludes by saying that his opinion is that the United States Air Force should be investing in more F-35s uh, because they have more capability both nested within the aircraft and the ability to communicate and network in a modern battlefield and therefore uh it, you know and along with its stealth capabilities that it is better suited for the peer threat and i don't know if that's necessarily true because there's many aspects to fighter employment and in my view you cannot look at one thing alone so right you know when I think about employing fighters, well, no fighter is going to go into a fight without either before or roughly at the same time, you will probably have a whole whack of cruise missiles going in to try and sanitize whatever radar installations that you know, or infrastructure or what have you. So 
that alone, um, you know, you'll also have strategic bombers and in, in the, into the case of the United States Air Force, stealth bombers. Um, so the fact of thinking of a fighter as the only asset that would go in against a peer threat is is I I think it's a bit a bit of a misnomer to to just think of it in that context alone. It is. I mean, and I would argue that even using the term stealth now, there's a lot of um, a lot of people feel that you know stealth. When you say stealth, that means that I've got this fancy, crazy design, and you know they think of the F one seventeen, all these crazy angles and stuff like that, and stealth. Stealth now has developed so much more than that. I think it's just become a blanket term for being able to deny the enemy the ability to see you. Right. Um, right. There's a lot more things that go into it, obviously that 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 happen outside of just the design. Um, when you look at it, there's the engineer analytical. This is how it's written in the paper. This is how it's going to be executed, kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And then there's the operator's perspective and how it actually gets done. And I feel that throughout this paper that's really what it's lacking is is the this is how we're really going to do it so while having that fifth gen asset is extremely important it's important when you're talking about day one day two day three right but when you're trying to establish the air dominance which is really where i think he should have spent a lot of his time and focus Mm -hmm. when he's trying to compare the ex to the f-35 and what it's for Mm -hmm. that that jet's a tool there's a very specific thing that that jet is meant and designed for, just like the F-22. Mm-hmm. The problem with it is they try to make the jet more than really what it's meant to be right. to validate and justify spending the kind of money they spent. The Strike Eagle is amazing because we can do a lot of stuff. Right. But there's one thing that we can't do that that jet can, which is why that jet is important. Right. Mm-hmm. But to say to, to compare the two, uh, he refers to it, a couple times in his paper about you know you're comparing apples and oranges and that's his problem is that he's trying to compare apples and apples and they're not the same thing right indeed then there's the whole cost factor that comes into this and you know he's talking about how the the f-35 is decreasing in cost and in the paper he puts out a a figure um that uh the cost per flight hour and you know he states that the f-15 ex even though it hadn't flown at the time but he was basing it on other f-15 models uh and and analysis i guess or projections cost projections would be that the f-15 ex would cost around twenty seven thousand dollars per flight hour which mm-hmm. i i th- i think that's a bit high uh because one of the things about the f-15 ex is that you are building on this F-15 pedigree where in terms of the motors, in terms of like the motors are known across various different operators. So it's, it's an, you know, you know, where, where any, um, any issues might lie. Uh, so it's kind of a known entity, but in terms of like just the support structure for F-15s writ large, whether it's an EX or a Charlie or an Echo, um, they exist. So, you know, your overall costs are going to be lower in my, in my humble opinion. And 
He also mentioned here the F-35 dropped in cost per flight hour uh, to $30,137. And he states this figure from 2018. Well, and I know the Air Force has said, and Lockheed has also said, cost per flight hour for the F-35, they want to get down to $25,000 by 2025. Um, whether that's achieved or not, I guess we'll have to see. But uh but I think there there's certainly efficiencies in uh, in operating an F-15 EX model in addition to the capabilities that it brings, which we haven't even talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there absolutely is, and I think the numbers are, you know, you can you can pluck numbers anywhere out of anywhere to make it feed your agenda. Totally, absolutely. The, yeah. the fact of the matter is, it's a br- it's a brand new airframe a lot of the numbers that they're using for those those maintenance hours are based on the full uh, full purchase. Mm-hmm. So while the numbers are high now, eventually when we have the 1,400 number, whatever it is that we're trying to buy, that number is going to come down just purely out of the mass mm-hmm. production that we've got in all the parts. Absolutely. The F-15 is the things that were failing the most and causing our operational costs to soar have been removed. Right. And that's one of the great things about the new model is that it removes all the big problems and hopefully doesn't insert new ones. But, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully it's providing a fix. You know, the radar was a massive, massive suck on money when it comes to maintenance. Right. And we've gotten rid of that. You know, the APG-72 is gone. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this new radar is phenomenal. The problems they were having it, or, and they still do with the E, is that, They've jammed this really powerful radar into an old matrix, right? which is why the EX is so good, because now it has the processing power. It has all new wires. It's got fiber. It's got all this fancy stuff that'll make it more reliable, and uh, and it should make it more maintenance reliable. Mm-hmm. And the and like you said, the motors, motors are, they're phenomenal. I mean, it, it's a great product. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, some somewhere in this in this article, he talks about um, about uh, dogfighting and how dogfighting is kind of uh, <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> gone by the wayside and and sure uh, and you know and he he mentions it in in the context of well, uh, there's a lot of more recent fights have been beyond visual range and you know they take advantage of long range missiles uh, in the U.S. context, AMRAMs and and their variants. Um, it's funny when I try to think back at engagements it seems like a lot of them do get into a visual range before you actually, and that's not to say that all of them are that way, but it just seems like uh, even with BVR missiles, you can get into a merge pretty quick. Yeah. There's so many places we could go with this talk (laughs) with, with just that one paragraph alone. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They said that, you know, that was the era of the air-to-air missile. They said we would never have dogfights. What, what was the one of the first things they did? They developed Top Gun because guys were dying in BFM fights. Right. And they had to throw a gun pot on the F-4 because somebody said that we would never need guns again because we have missiles. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, the fact of the matter is you've got reliability issues with the airframe. Then you have to add in the reliability issues with the missile. And then you got to add in the God factor, which is nobody really knows what's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So – and then if you think about numbers, you know, if the his comparison to what's happened in recent engagements, those have all been very, very small, nothing big, couple jets here and there. Mm-hmm. But the real the reality is, if we're talking near peer, mm-hmm. 
there's going to be so many jets in the air. We just don't have enough missiles. Yes. So eventually somebody is going to end up at a merge and having to use a gun. Right. It's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that's a really, really good point. So if you think of the classic F-15 Charlie loadout, you know, and I'm thinking way back into the 80s, 70s, it'll have four sparrows and four sidewinders. And that has now segued over to a mix of sidewinders and AMRAMs. But the typical loadout, um, I guess, you know, you could have a max of six AMRAMs and two, two sidewinders uh, on, on a typical F-15 Charlie. Um, what I know about the F-15EX is with its expanded weapons capacity, like you could have, I believe it's upwards of 12, if not, I think could be even uh, higher 18 or something, some crazy, Correct. crazy number of, of, yep. of missiles. And that's partly because of the way that they've engineered some, uh, some missile rails and such, but it also is a function of the processing power within the aircraft, which is able to utilize all of that stuff. When you have an AESA radar and you can track a ton of different targets and you can also target many. And the fact that the AMRAM, ha AMRAM has its own radar within it, uh, so, you know, in theory, fire and forget. Um, boy, that, that to me is a huge, huge bonus that comes in that particular fight that you're talking about where there's a lot of targets. Right. That's, I mean, <laughs> there's obviously a give and take with, the, with adding that many missiles to a jet. But for sure. Um, for there's, sure. A, there's a reason that they spent the past five years developing that rack so that we could carry more missiles. And there's a reason why they added those hard points on the strike Eagle so that we could carry more missiles. Mm -hmm. And anybody who looks at it and goes, Holy crap, 18 missiles. Like, yeah, we've, we've just created a missile truck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. True. And, and that's what they're going to do with it. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you said the word truck intentionally, but I've actually recently read an article where it's also just delivering missiles into theater. You can put them all on, on, on the aircraft and actually get them there as opposed to putting them. And it's not to say that that's an, a necessarily efficient method to do it uh, as opposed to a cargo plane, you know, where you could bring in multi right. multiple missiles at one time. But I think with the United States Air Force construct now of agile combat employment, ACE, um, you will have aircraft that are like twos and fours, like a section or a division that might just show up somewhere. And if you can carry in a whole whack of missiles and uh, take them off at the time and, and then outfit your, your aircraft as needed. Um, and heck, that actually doesn't even mean that you need to bring missiles for your own jets. You could actually be an F-15EX pilot with all of those missiles on your jet, 16, 18, bring them into an airport and you could load up F-35s if you choose, you know, if you needed to, or, or super right. hornets, if there were some kind of joint coalition type construct. So, right. um, so it's not just employing it and, and being able to employ it, which you can, right. It's not like, it, like those missiles are not just for carriage. They can be employed, but the fact that you yeah. can also carry them and take them places is, is another bonus in my opinion. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think one of the things that's missing in this article is that, you know, agility is, is massive when it comes to air combat and the strike Eagle and now the EX have a record and have proven that it has the ability to be super agile in flexing between different mission sets and having the ability to plus up or plus down if need be. 
And you're going to find that with the, with the F-35, it, it's going to be limited. And again, it's because it's a purpose-built aircraft. It had one purpose, and now they're just figuring out other ways to use it. Whereas a Strike Eagle was always built to be a jack-of-all-trades. Same with the Viper. The Viper's limitation, it was just small, and, and you know it has carriage issues. But sure. I, I think the, the agility is priceless. Mm. I, I I would tend to agree with you. And in this in this article, the author makes the point of uh, the fact that the F-35 has flexibility in the context that you can be full up stealth with internal weapons carriage. Uh, and then you can go into what Lockheed, uh, I don't know if it's Lockheed that's saying it or if it's if it's the Air Force, perhaps both. But the quote-unquote beast mode, where where now you have ordnance also on on hard points. Once you do that, of course you're not stealthy anymore. But his point right. is that you could go both ways with the F thirty five, where that is not possible with the F fifteen EX, which is not a low observable aircraft. Sure, that is a fact. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of give and take with those configurations. And he talks about it in there about its performance and and how it compares the F-15E versus the C. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, or I, well, I know the reality is that plane flies a lot like an E, a little bit more maneuverability, but it flies very similar to a Strike Eagle. Mm-hmm. And when you start putting things on the wings, now it's a lot more like a Strike Eagle. Right. So there's a lot of give and take. And again, I, I really believe it goes back to the purpose of this aircraft is very pointed and it was going to do an amazing job and it does do an amazing job at its designed mission. Mm-hmm. Whereas the strike Eagle, like I said before it, its purpose was to be multi-role. So it is an excellent multi-role fighter. Mm-hmm. Its purpose was never to be a stealth fighter going up at altitude, you know, trying to, to penetrate a, a, a somebody's air defense system. We were designed to go low and stay under the radar, but those days are, are, are quickly going away. Right. So. Right. I agree with you. And I think one of the other aspects about this, so he talks about how the F-35 is able to uh, do a lot of sensor fusion. And yes, it is. It's it's a newer generation. You're able to utilize a lot of modern technology in the F-35. But oh, by the way, the one thing that he doesn't really talk about too much is the fact that the F-15EX does exactly the same thing. It has a right. it has a large area display, so it has a cockpit that has touch screens. Uh, it, it's it's a it's essentially similar to an F-35 cockpit. You know, flat screen, uh, right. uh, large large flat touch flat screen, and um, and a lot of those sensors are indeed fused. And so you are presented with, instead of like the F-15E, which you're familiar with, uh, uh, very familiar with, you know, where you've got the different multifunction displays, everything now is presented on one big display that you can configure the way you want. uh, But all of that information is fused in together. Uh, Granted, the F-35 does have embedded sensors, uh, which the F-15EX does not, like their EOTs, like their DAS. Um, DAS being the distributed aperture system, but um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that the that the F fifteen EX is less capable or does not have sensor fusion. I know as a fact the F fifteen EX does do sensor fusion. 
yeah, I think his his uh, interpretation of what sensor fusion is mm-hmm. and what it is to an operator are probably a little bit skewed because I would argue that the F-15E has been sensor fused since 2008. It's just getting better and better and better at it. So I think he defines sensor fusion as being able to put all the information on one screen mm-hmm. where I believe that I don't believe I know that sensor fusion is just being able to dist- to take all that information wherever it's coming from and provide it to the user in a way that it's easily understandable. Right. So while the EX, it does have that larger multifunction display and it, and it does provide that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. We were still able to, pro- and especially with the latest model of the E um, and the, and the addition of the APG 82, mm-hmm. the, the new software update they did with it, uh, and more specifically with the ADP2 that they they installed, Mm -hmm. we had the massive processing power. We could put all that information that we needed on one scope. What a lot of guys did was we actually separated the two because it was easier to decipher and put it all together on two separate screens. Right. But he makes a statement in there about how, you know, you've got an external pod. Well, that pod is on one screen. Well, that's not how it works at all. Interesting. I, you, I'm, I may manipulate that pod on one screen, mm-hmm. but the data gets displayed on any display I want, and I can use it to create a solution on any screen that I want, and I can share that with anybody I want. So this interoperability exists, and the sensor fusion has existed in fourth-gen jets for a very long time. It's just how people decide they want to interpret that, which is – well, the F-22 had one massive screen that provides all the information, so that therefore is sensor fusion. Well, no. I need to be able to take all that data and give it to the pilot. It doesn't say it has to be on one screen. Right, right. Again, the EX will do that, but EX also has EPAWS and all this other stuff. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of other things that it's going to be able to do that the Strike Eagle can't. Right, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's an interesting point because I actually think the F-15EX, and I'm not a proponent for Boeing, nor am I a proponent for Lockheed. I'm completely impartial. I just try to look at look at what's out there and, and try to come to a, a sensible understanding or you know i try to i try to understand it but then i try to make a sensible statements out of it the one thing that i really love about this approach of the f-15 ex is you're taking iterative advancements from the alpha to alpha bravo charlie delta and echo and in addition to that you are leveraging the non-recurring engineering that has gone into the Singaporean variant, which was arguably better than the F-15E that the U.S. Air Force was operating. And then Mm -hmm. beyond that, the Saudi variant, which was another leap ahead. And, and, and Qatar is, is having an advanced variant of, of the F-15. Um, So the U.S. Air Force, I think is quite astute in taking all of the, all of the, and of course, some of these are, are decades long, um, improvements, but the more recent ones uh, from Singapore to Saudi Arabia to Qatar, um, you're taking all of those advancements, which are already funded and the engineering has been done. And now on top of that, you're adding U.S. specific things into the F-15EX, uh, which is over and above all the other versions that came before it. Uh, like, I mean, to me, that type of design philosophy and incremental increase in capability just makes a lot of sense yeah 
It does because we've got, we've got a, a proven platform. We have advanced technologies, like you said, that we've developed, whether it was on our own, just from our own Air Force test or, you know, and then feeding that back to Boeing or, or the other governments, like you said, but it's all kind of culminated in the EX and it's not, you know, it's a four plus gen fighter. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be a fifth gen, sure, but it's going to serve its purpose extremely well. And, and we can get them faster than we can get an F-35 right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So clearly they're coming off the line at, at a decent pace. And I think Boeing was astute in making sure that that happened. Um, you know, yeah. Part of that is is probably political, but probably the other part is they could do it. And they've demonstrated that they are doing it. Mm-hmm. So good on them. Um, you have many colleagues in the community. Um, what have you heard about the F-15EX that you might be able to share with me and our, our listeners? Uh, because... I think I think your specific um, perspective, knowing the the previous platforms and what you may or may not have heard from your from your colleagues that are intimate with the F fifteen EX, or at least the program, um, I think that would be interesting insight. It's still relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm relatively, it is new for the guys that have just gotten it. So, mm-hmm. um, what I do know is every one of them have said it's everything we've ever wanted in a Strike Eagle, but more. <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> which, which is great. You know, yeah. it, I think the, the, the soul crushing part of it is that the focus on the Wizzo is, is obviously not there because the, um, and I'll take Spears from it, but the C model mafia is just, you know, anti Wizzo. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how long it takes before we start actually operating it as a, a two seat aircraft, but mm-hmm. the guards are going to get it first and they're going to use it as they see fit. But from, from a, tr- a, str- a pure strike eagle going to combat, air to air air to ground i mean i'm extremely excited with the potential that this plane brings us i hope that the government continues to buy them and we start populating sole multi-role fighter squadrons and not just backfilling c models that are aging out i agree with you i I hope that that is the the trajectory hey everybody i'd like to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions. Cubic plays such an important role in training our allied warfighters. So, since inventing air combat maneuvering instrumentation, or ACMI, in the early 1970s, Cubic continues to lead the industry as the world's foremost provider of air combat training systems. So, air crews from the United States and allied partners. They rely on Cubic to prepare for combat missions more effectively and with less risk. So I encourage you to take a look at their website. Um, they're an amazing company and they are a wonderful partner to this podcast. Please visit them at cubic.com. Thanks, everybody. Now let's get back to our show. You actually mentioned something really interesting there. The fact that every F-15 EX model coming off the line is a two-seat is interesting and you're absolutely right they're going to be using them as single seat fighters and one would perhaps think why would you employ a two seat fighter as a single seat but it's right. p- partly because they're replacing the charlies that are aging out um but the other aspect is that i think it was cheaper to build the two seat because that's what boeing has been building they haven't been building single seat f15s right absolutely and i and i think secretly somewhere grace is you know 
twiddling his hands going, ah, ha, ha, I've got him. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously he's not the one that made the decision about this, but still yeah. being a strike deal guy, he knows how lethal it is. Yes. So to mm-hmm. build a single seat fighter, to have to build two different ones, it's going to cost more money. Right. Period. Right. Um, but you know, now we have options. Now we can, you can plus up a squadron with some guard jets if need be, if we actually do go to war like that and we need, we need that ability. Well, you'll have squadrons that are trained to that mission. You just grab jets and move them out. You know what I mean? So they'll have the option to expand if we ever kind of went that route. But I mean, who knows how it's ever going to, how it's going to play out. I'm sure somebody has got a PowerPoint somewhere that we could all look at. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I actually asked the air force reserve commander, will you eventually start adopting the air to ground role for the F 15 EX guys, like in the guard and, and reserve. (laughs) And he actually said, um, that right now our focus is air to air and NORAD and all that stuff. But he did say that that capability exists in the jet and that, that it's not a stretch to think that we would probably, um, adopt that into the training right as well and and i think that's astute why not if you've got it available like yes for sure the air-to-air fight is a specific fight and you need to train to that um but if you have that inherent capability in your platform even better because you have the extra seat you know you could put a wizzo in there you have Mm -hmm. the conformal fuel tanks so you've got the legs and you have all of the the hard points there similar to an f-15e strike eagle so holy smokes you have just created this jet in my humble opinion and again i'm not a proponent for boeing or anybody but it just makes a lot of sense to me because like like you said earlier that pure fight or near pure fight day one two three for sure stealth will be awesome to have and you want those guys out front um but stealth it's not the only thing that will be occurring on day one two or three and on top of that, once you get past day one, two, and three, now you want capacity. And that's where the F-15EX could roll in uh, and, right. and be a, an absolute force multiplier, in my, in my opinion. Yep. And I think what you, what you will see eventually um, is that IADs take down and the initial push like you're talking about with the cruise missiles and the B2s and all that kind of going in to soften the, the mm-hmm. air defense system. Mm-hmm. When you start rolling in the fifth gen jets, what the EX is going to provide is the ability for them to be out there in that fight. Maybe not necessarily in the ring, but they're going to be there. And if the rap, you know, if the fifth gen guys are able to pull any air uh, out of that mez then they're going to be waiting for they're you know they're going to have a rude awakening <laughs> because there's going to be a, a wall of missiles ready for them so uh doing that with a strike eagle you could do it it's just you're accepting that you're probably going to lose a lot of jets okay but the ex gives you a little bit more um it brings more missiles to the fight which if the enemy puts up air you're going to need more missiles. Mm-hmm. You're going to need a lot more missiles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, and, and it's uh, very rarely in fighter discussions do things go deep into electronic warfare because it gets secret really quick. Um, but having said that, the electronic warfare capability is something that I don't think is focused on as much. And and probably it's not talked about because of that. It gets very sensitive very quickly. Right. Very. 
Yeah, but it is such a huge aspect to it. You know, people talk about uh, about radars and this and that for sure. You can't just look at one part and think that's that is the panacea to to an amazing fighter. But electronic warfare is such a huge, huge part of it. And uh, and yeah, you know, the F-15EX will have the EPOS, which has been um, it has been evolving for a long time. And, but it, I think you would agree uh, that. It was something that that the F-15E needed for a long time. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, and and so here's an opportunity to put it in and uh, and even make the the F-15EX that much more survivable. Yeah, I mean, having flown the Typhoon and their DAS, man, you just you realize what you're missing <laughs> by not having right. a system. So right. the the F-15E needed it, and and it's some it's awesome that the EX has it. You know, that's the baseline. It's Mm-hmm. They needed something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's it, it, to me. There's just so much there that that I think the pluses outweigh the minuses. I guess is is my takeaway after after reading this paper and trying to think through the problem sets that he's presenting and uh, and understanding what the F-15 can bring to the table. I think that's my takeaway is that he's trying to compare it as like to like, but it's not like to like. Right. And, 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 and again, I go back to, he's making an, an honest attempt at it, but mm-hmm. he, he lacks the experience or the experiential knowledge to understand what he's saying when it comes to employment. So a lot of his assumptions, like you touched on earlier, a lot of his assumptions are missing bits. Mm-hmm. He's trying to say that he's not comparing apples to oranges, but he's comparing apples to oranges. Right. And, you know, it's just, um, it's like he's almost trying to pitch the F-35 so that we get more of them. But like I said, I still believe the jet is amazing. It's going to do a, a wonderful job for us at the mission that it's designed for. But the EX is an, is an absolute game changer. And it's a, and like you've said a couple times now, it's a force multiplier. We mm-hmm. can bring a lot more to the game, to the fight. So let's let the fifth gen guys get in there and do the things they do really, really well. Mm-hmm. And then bring the fight back so that we can finish it off with the EX and, and the everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I, I I can't help but think, and this is a, an advantage that the United States has over most other air forces, not all, but most, is the United States Air Force has the luxury of having multiple fleets. And I think that is an asset. Part of it is a function of funding. How much can you fund? What can you know? If you have multiple fleets, it's going to cost you more in every aspect: training, the simulation, everything, maintenance, support. So having more than one f- type of fighter in your air force is going to cost more. But if you can have more than one, I think that there is an inherent value to having diverse platforms. Uh, not yeah. not just specialist platforms, but I think that that there's value because the way I look at stealth, like let's just talk about the the stealth characteristic. You know, you mentioned the F one seventeen earlier, and it was very faceted and and it was deflecting radar in the way that it was designed to do at that time. And as you see fighter design and evolution, uh, most of these fifth gen aircraft all kind of look the same and. There's a reason for that. You can't cheat physics. You know, physics is what physics is. So you try to design a platform that will that will defeat radar or, or a certain spectrum. So that yields a particular design shape, and they all happen to look very similar. Um, but I think that if you have an opponent 
that knows, okay, well, an F-35 looks like this. Therefore, I'm going to try to develop my radars or my systems, whatever it is, to try and defeat that shape. Then if all of your eggs are in that one basket and they come up with a solution to defeat it, well, now you're, how much right. merit was there in putting all your eggs into that one basket? So it's a long-winded way to say, I think that there is value in having multiple fleets if you can afford it. And the F-15EX is a perfect example of building on technology and getting that diverse kind of fleet. Right. Yep. There's really no other way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, yeah. they, I mean, like, We've we've only got so we've only have so many missiles. We only have so many F thirty fives. We only have so many F twenty two. The same with the F fifteen EX. You're gonna lose jets. Mm-hmm. What happens when you're out? Yeah. So right. if you put all your eggs in one basket, like you said, then you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. At least we've got options. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the more you can carry, like I mean that that's value unto itself, right? So that's that's yeah, exactly yeah yeah right because if 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 you're gonna use the F thirty five like you say you're gonna use it. They're going to go deep. They're not going to be carrying external weapons. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be carrying external fuel tanks. So, right. Right. you know, he used the red flag reference a lot, but red flag is very canned. So mm. I'm very skeptical about pounding my chest about how we did at a red flag. Mm. And it, you've, you've been to red flags before. Um, yes. So talk me through that a little bit because, and it doesn't have to be in detail, but but I can't help but think that you're probably right. I don't think that these waves that launch in in red flag are just like go into this zone and see what you'll find or whatever. I think they are probably scripted scenarios. Um, Now, of course, once you get into the merger or whatever, then things are dynamic and change. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, he the thing with red flag is it's it's all about deconfliction because there's so many airplanes. Right. And we all have to adhere to certain training rules. So there's already uh, an inherent um, trainingism. You know what I mean? Like you can't. Yeah, you're not actually able to train like you would in war. And then he also references, you know, the. The red air, you know, the guy's making a comment about, you know, it's really hard to fight them. Uh, well, of course, half of the fighters don't have radars. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's already a problem. And then yeah. and then the other ones that do, yeah, you're talking about F-16s that are old and have crappy radar. So they can barely see a fourth gen fighter, let alone a fifth gen fighter. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of, there's just a lot of references in it that are like, yeah, I know. I know what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. but I think, you you know, you worded it. You could have probably gone to bat a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, and, and fought your argument. So, yeah, you know, but I think what I think what we are seeing now is that after I'd say probably in the past six to eight years, the push to get away from the red flag as the, you know, you must go do a red flag before you deploy kind of thing to get your combat mm-hmm. under your belt or whatever, however you want to refer to it. Mm-hmm. And they're looking a lot more at the smaller scale, large force exercises that are happening. For example, the one that it's called checkered flag at Tyndall, mm-hmm. where they just put on a, a small red flag-esque kind of a mission of exercise, mm-hmm. but they keep the numbers lower. It allows people to fight harder, present more robust type of threats. And there's some, you know, there's some training hurdles they have to come across because they don't have the ability to produce the kind of surface air picture mm-hmm. that Nellis can. Mm-hmm. But everybody that comes through that exercise says that it's one of the best things they've done. Hmm. So 
where you can train. And the great thing is, is that, you know, you have, well, at the time Raptors were at Tyndall, mm-hmm. um, but you have all of that dedicated airspace to that exercise and you have access to the 53rd WEG, which is where combat archer is. So any questions you've got about air to air missile performance, radar performance, all that kind of stuff, the experts are right there. Right. Right. So, uh, anyway, that's kind of a plug for the, for WESIP and checkered flag and everything. But the, uh, you know, red flag is, is just, it's its own beast mm-hmm. and it doesn't, I think it's kind of lost what its real intent was, mm-hmm. but I mean, it still serves its purpose. Mm-hmm. It still is a mass exercise and planning, right. which is invaluable. Yes. But sure. there's a lot more that happens in those smaller exercises now. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And it, this one point that I just want to add about the F-15EX I, uh, is only because I just thought it, and I think I've, I think I roundabout mentioned it earlier, but, and I know you said it in a way as well, but I think it's worth, worth noting specifically is the F-15EX has the fastest computer processors in in mm-hmm. any in any modern jet currently and that speaks to the fact that it, you know all of the information that it's taking in uh presenting pushing out synthesizing fusing if, if to use the yes. vernacular um so it's no slouch i guess is what i what i'm saying from from everything i know about it yeah no it is it's <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, it, it's what we all wanted. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. great, you know, and it, it, it didn't have the development delays like the F-22 or the, or the F-35. And, you know, the, the strike eagle was what, what the first one came off the line in 89 hmm. and those processors were like developed in late seventies, early eighties. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we've got, we've got top of the line stuff going into this jet that, you know, once the program hits go, you're kind of stuck. Yes. With what you bid, you know what I mean? And then, right. you know, Lockheed will be more than willing to put in a faster, fancier processor, but that's going to cost you another $15 million. Yeah. Right. You know, and then you get into that game. Whereas, yeah. this, you know, the, the EX, hey, we just put fiber in the damn thing, make the base bigger, make it stronger. And we've got the computers already built. Mm-hmm. It's all top of the line stuff. Here you go. Boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I got this processor that can think fast. You know, it's wicked fast. It can take all this stuff and put it you know it can make a snoopy face if you want on the screen it'll do whatever you want it's got plenty of power for it and you've got tons of room to expand whereas i think what you're going to find is the f-35 is probably pretty close to being maxed out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i i I assume that lockheed would probably argue well you know that's why that's why they keep putting capability insertions in and uh and sure but but that you know that argument can go for any jet and any OEM, they're all going to be doing that. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I think this was this was a fun discussion. I give um, uh, Mr. Leonard uh, credit for, for attempting it. And, you know, from experience, I know that sometimes you're just given a, a length that you have to work to. So it's sometimes hard to put everything into context. Yeah. You know, I got to get, I got to say that because I know that those are sometimes constraints that people deal with. But uh Sure. I guess, and when I when I look through all of his, uh, you know, at the end of the document when he was listing all of his sources, mm-hmm. I guess I was hoping to see more, more advisors maybe or more references to um, input that he had gotten from more of the combat air force. Mm-hmm. I know he had a retired lieutenant colonel. I don't recognize any of the names of the two guys that he referenced, the captain and uh, and the retired lieutenant colonel. But mm-hmm. and I don't want to take away from anything they said. No, of course not. But. Mm-hmm. 
like I said, you know, my last job was air to air missiles. So I saw every platform come through with their most current tape and we ran them through the ringers. So I kind of know what they look like, what they show, how it works. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've been, you know, I've, I've been a mission commander. I've done all those kind of things. So I understand the, the process and the problems that our operators try to solve. Mm -hmm. And I wish that he had had even a glimpse of some of that uh, to kind of help him in the assumptions and the conclusions that he came to. Because I think if he did, some of his um, conclusions may have been a little bit different. Right, right. Well, yeah. Hopefully, he as he as he approaches, uh, you know, commissioning into the into the Air Force and uh, and being an officer after he graduates. Um, hopefully, he will have that opportunity to see some of the things that that you're aware of, and uh, and maybe his assessment will change. Who knows? But uh, yeah. So uh, that was a wonderful discussion. I re I really enjoyed it. I was excited to have this because I wanted to get your insight um, as a subject matter expert, but, uh, before we leave it, I just want to ask, you mentioned that you were, you had that position where you were looking at the near peer threat as you were leaving active service. Uh, so what have we not discussed that, that, you know, you were kind of looking at that you can, that you can share. And it depends on region too. If we think of a problem set of Russia, that's one thing. And then if we think of a problem set of China, that's another thing, because in the Pacific theater, you've got huge distances that you have to deal with. And that's, that's a problem unto itself, which I know PACAF, right. PACAF deals with day in, day out. Uh, that, that, that typical phrase, tyranny of distance comes up all the mm -hmm. time. Um, but I can't help but think with conformal fuel tanks to bring it back to the F-15EX, conformal fuel tanks like you have on the, on the F-15E, you've got some pretty decent legs. Now, granted, you're a bigger platform too, but, and if you, if you hang a lot of stuff off, now you got more drag, but, um, but you got the fuel. Yeah, we definitely have the fuel. That's one thing we don't have a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely carry a lot of crap. <laughs> But yeah, it just I just thought I'd I'd pick your brain there for one second and and get a little bit of the flavor of what you were looking at at that time. Well, I think in in the end, and it's both um, both sides of the coin, really. I mean, for the longest time when I started flying, it was look at how many hours the other countries get. They're only averaging you know five hours a month, mm -hmm. and then we were you know we were flying our tails off in the early two thousands, mm -hmm. um, and then things started to happen and then our flying kinds of starts to slow down. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, you know, it's very cyclical in both ways. Um, but I think, well, I know what we, we really spent a lot of time on was really focusing on the warfighter and how ready are they? Cause that was, that was our job was we're not only assessing the weapon system, but we're assessing the warfighter and how ready they are to go out and do their job. So our biggest concern is readiness. Hmm. how ready are our guys how ready are their guys right. you know how experienced are they are they still fluffing their numbers and we're we're not getting the whole truth which is probably the case mm -hmm. you know how reliable are their missiles how good are their missiles are they really as good as they say they are um all that kind of how many do they have you know the number is is just as important as how good they are <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah so if you've got an awesome missile you you only have two of them well okay <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and that goes, that kind of goes back to our other discussion about numbers. It's, you know, yeah, they, they may have some fifth gen capability, but majority of it is fourth gen. Mm -hmm. 
But then you think about all the hidden spots that China's got, and you're like, the reality is we're going to have like 50,000 MiG-21s coming at us. (laughs) We don't have that many fighters, and we definitely don't have that many missiles. Right. You know what I mean? So it's just a pure uh, attrition fight, you know? Yes, right. and, you know, before it was on the ground, you just walled it up and you, your guys fall over and you just backfill. Well, we're kind of doing that in the air now. Hmm. So interesting. And and that's why we spend so much money and so much time trying to learn everything we possibly can about the weapon system, both the jet and the and the missiles so that we can give that information to the warfighter and go, look, this is what it's going to do. This is what we're pretty confident that you can expect to happen when you hit the button and that missile comes off your jet. Mm-hmm. So then the only real unknown is how are you going to react as the fighter when you're actually in the fog of war? Right. Right. So that, that part, you know, that part falls on the squadrons to train their guys and get them ready for that kind of stuff. And they do what they can with what they're given. Right. Uh, and our job was just to make sure that we could get, you know, we shot our, we shot a lot of missiles and that was the best we could do is just to go, look, 450 missiles later, we're pretty confident this is what it's going to do if you put it in this situation. Yeah. And and that knowledge is is invaluable because it gives you confidence, yes. right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So now that we've kind of uh, talked that, that topic through, uh, the second topic that we got to touch on is uh, the naming of the F-15EX. <laughs> <laughs> So Eagle the, Two, Eagle Two, exactly. So there's been a lot of there's been a lot of comments about it, and um, yeah, I I would love to know your thoughts about the name Eagle Two. I think across the board from the warfighter in the well, I should say the Strike Eagle warfighter community, we're like, what the hell? Because <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, man, I know we talked about this last time, but yeah. Lightning 2, everybody was like, Lightning 2, yeah. what kind of a name is that? Right. And and now here we are, Eagle 2. I'm like, who pays this guy to come up with these names? <laughs> and if it's General <laughs> Kelly, I'm really sorry because I love General Kelly. But right. I'm pretty confident that he did not come up with that name. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it, it was we were all so disappointed. It had so many – it had so much potential to be such a cool name. And they'll come up with something. That'll be, you know, yeah. like the Fighting Falcons, the Viper. Right. So we'll yes. we'll come up with, or they'll come up with something. But yep. um, it sure is disappointing that that was the best they could do was call it an Eagle Two. <laughs> you know, I I wonder. <laughs> so I am I, in agreement with you, and I wonder if it's just because they, uh, I don't know if they're trying to carry on that legacy, or or are they? Obviously, they're carrying on the legacy, right? Eagle Two is carrying on the legacy of the Eagle, but, um, but are they just trying to play it safe where it's like, okay, here's something where people may or may not like it, but at least it's safe. You know? uh, who knows? I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't see how you get there. Mm. You go from the, from the, the C model, light gray Eagle. Mm-hmm. You come up with this badass two seat delivering hate from above jet and we call that the strike eagle yep then we create this monster that is everything that anybody ever wanted it to be and we call it the eagle two it's like you took a step back (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, we're not really sure what it's going to do. So we're just going to call it an Eagle two for now. Yeah. And then <laughs> we'll try it on for size and see how it goes. <laughs> that is so All funny. right, man. <laughs> There's so many things. Yeah. I mean, you remember when they put out Boeing, put out that, uh, the V-tail version of the Eagle. Do you remember yes. that picture? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. And they called that the silent Eagle. That yes. was badass. That was badass. Right? I agree with you. Yes, it was. Now, I'm not saying they should have called it the, the silent Eagle, but no, no. that was a pretty sweet name. Yeah. So how do you get Eagle 2? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty lackluster imagination, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Do you want so to... I don't know what happened on that one. <laughs> Nor do I. Nor do I. Do you want to know a name that I've actually heard uh, batted about? Kind of like what you mentioned, how the 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 F sixteen is a fighting falcon, but it's it's you know almost universally known as at least in the U.S. as the Viper. Um, yes. So one I've heard for the for the F fifteen EX, and I don't know if you've heard. I'm sure you've probably heard some, but the one I've heard, which I actually kind of like, is Phoenix. Because it's, I have not heard that one. No, oh, awesome! I, I no, just, I like I, that. I do too. I just recently heard it because it's like the phoenix is a bird, you know, rising out of the ashes, and in, yeah, you know, until it, at least in the United States Air Force construct, it was thought that the F-15E Strike Eagle was the last one. So here's yeah. the phoenix rising out of the ashes. I, I really like that. I think it's a good yeah. one. Yeah, you know, that is a good. One. Maybe they're saving that one for the Raptor when they redo that one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. You know, yeah, the F twenty two the F twenty two X Phoenix. That you know, that one that would be cool too. That but would that would now, there was one I meant to I meant to write it down. I can't remember what it was now, but I saw one from a friend of mine that was really, really cool. And I can't remember the name of it. It had still had Eagle in it. Oh, okay. But it was it was something else I can't remember. Oh man. I'm sorry. No, you're all But anyway, it was still anything is really almost anything is better than <laughs> Eagle 2. <laughs> Cuz I can already see the, I can already see the bars and the guys calling it the Eagle Deuce. Yes. Or yeah. or other words that, yeah. you know, yeah, rhyme with deuce. <laughs> um yeah. You know, just all it, it's just too easy. I agree. You know, we call we call the when we want to get on the rap or the viper guys, we call them fighting chickens. Right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just it's too easy to do that. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know, I can't help but think that um, that yeah, you know, the Air Force they've got to be a little bit more more uh, I I guess for lack of a better word, creative. But um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but one thing I think for sure is they need to stop doing this two stuff. Yes. Like, even though I love the F4 Phantom, Phantom 2 is like, okay, you know, but it's it's kind of the same as all of these, you know, Phantom 2, Lightning mm -hmm. 2, Eagle 2. It's like, oh, come on, you couldn't pick up something. You could, you've got every word in the dictionary to choose from, you know. Right. <laughs> try, and, try and find something, yep. you know. But, yeah. That, the Lightning 2 is disappointing just because there's nothing about the F-35 that looks like a Lightning. No. The P-38 was so unique. Yes. And maybe that's what they went with, and it was such a unique plane that, you know, visually that that's how they got there. But I don't know. I, I just – you look at the P-38 and you go, uh, I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my understanding of Lightning, too, was because they were trying to appease both the, the UK, who was a partner nation, like a Tier 1 partner, 
uh, who right. was, was going to buy it, and they had their Lightning aircraft, and then we, uh, the United yep. States, had the P thirty eight Lightning. So, you know, here you go. Now here's the the F thirty five Joint Strike Fighter, the Lightning two. You know, and uh, and I kind of I can see that. I've for, seen the British Lightning, and that plane was weird looking. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, no no offense to the, to British design, but a lot of their designs look a little bit. Um, well, they all have uniqueness to them for sure. Uh, yes. Um, but, but having said that, those guys are usually on the cusp of, of innovative design more so than anywhere else. Like, you know, you look at, you look at a lot of the designs that they've come out of there, like the Comet. Do you remember the old Comet aircraft? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, sleek design. And to me, the Boeing Dreamliner looks like a modernized Comet. Yeah, I think I, it, there's a lot of places where where English design, is, in my opinion, is is kind of ahead of the curve. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the their version of the Lightning was built around those motors. I mean, yes, it's pretty obvious. Yes, absolutely. That was just an amazing aircraft. Uh, anyways, it just looks cool. Yeah, you know those two two engines over under and uh, yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, yeah it's like a western style shotgun <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah you know like the burners on that that is just a pretty cool looking jet but yeah. uh anyways yeah no i leroy i greatly appreciate this chat man this has been a lot of fun um good insight and uh and a couple of laughs along the way it's exactly what i what i hope for with with these uh with these discussions so thank you so yeah. much for taking the time absolutely it was fun Hey, thanks, buddy. You take good care of yourself, and yep. uh, and we will uh, we will reconvene again, and we'll pick something else to talk about. Absolutely, awesome. Thank you. That, my friends, was yep. Kevin Leroy Williams, a retired United States Air Force F-15 Strike Eagle pilot, and also an instructor pilot on the F-15SA. Um, Thanks for joining us on Go Bold. And if you have any questions for Leroy, please write to us at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll present those questions to Leroy and see if he'd be kind enough to answer them. And uh, hope to see you again on another episode. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.